WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. A new chief justice chosen. Is she a pioneer? Joe Hogsett reveals his political plans. Greg Ballard downplays the development. And Todd Rokita stirs controversy. That plus a proposed rail line through Fort Wayne. National Guard racing sponsorships disappear and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending August 8, Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible. This week, Loretta Rush was chosen to be the next Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court. She will also be the first woman to take that role. She has extensive experience and campaigned for the job. Yet during interviews, she was the only one of four candidates for Chief Justice who was asked how she would balance work and family. She has four children, including a 12-year-old, and said that she's become very good at time management. I have a village of people um, around me that help, and they believe in the mission of, of, of what we do as much as I do, and that really helps. A balanced person on the court is important, so I bring that perspective to the court. You, uh, you'll be the first woman to hold this position. Do you feel like a pioneer? I am. I, I look forward to the day that it's unremarkable that there's a woman on this court or a woman um, chief justice. Is the selection of Loretta Rush groundbreaking? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, Leslie Weidenbetter, editor of thestatehousefile.com, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shella. Ann Delaney, there are already 19 women who serve as chief justices for other states. Does that put this in perspective? It puts it in perspective, but it's still a great day. I mean, I think the selection, they, they have uh, a lot of qualified people on the court who could have served as Chief Justice. But I think her selection sends a very, very good message. And I'm hoping that not only her perspective, and I thought she handled that question very adeptly, uh, it was, shouldn't have been asked, okay? And she is exactly right. We need to get to the day where having a Chief Justice who's female is not you know, a, a pioneering event. And, you know, I'm hoping as well that with her influence now on the Judicial Nominating Commission that we may actually have a representative Supreme Court someday and have maybe as many as three out of the five be female. Wouldn't that be 
extraordinary. <laughs> well, it would be different. Um, it would definitely it, be different. It, it would be different. She's not the first woman on the Supreme Court. No, but they have one at a time, it looks right. like. Yeah. One out of five when you're 51% of the population just doesn't seem to me to be equitable. Brent Dixon chairs the, the Judicial Nominating Commission. He says that her gender was not a factor uh, in the discussion. Yeah, I believe that. I, I, they could have... They could have selected any one of the three people eligible, and it would have been a good pick. Well, actually, there were four, well, but, 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 but everybody thought Bob he, Rucker didn't have yeah. much of a chance. Well, he, he kind of told everybody he wasn't interested. It's my understanding, but well, maybe he, not. He sounded interested okay. in the interview. Well, <laughs> okay. But anyway, they could have picked any one of the people, and, and, and it would have been a good pick because that court seems to get together well. They work together well, and as she said, uh, they're very collegial in their atti attitude, and uh, and it's it's not a political court so much. I mean, they they really go out of their way to uh, look at things in a positive way, and I think people get a fair shot when they get to the Indiana Supreme Court. I thought it was a great pick, and uh, she'll, she she should have that court for a long time. I mean, she's only what fifty, late fifties, mid fifties, mid fifties. So she should be around for a good while in that position. I think that will serve as well. It's a five-year, five-year term. To go back to your question, though, I I think it is a little bit groundbreaking. I, it is true that there have been plenty of women who have served as chief justices in other states, but Indiana's courts. Not just at the not just at the high court level, but all all through the court system, have had fewer female judges than they have in a lot of other states. And with the uh, population of Indiana obviously being more than 50 percent female, also with law school applicants right. and graduates being at least half in in some cases more than half of the lawyers coming out, I think it is really important. Plus, there's just the general. Um, I mean, we all have an understanding that we all bring different things uh, based on our own experiences um, to every debate or conversation. And it is important that you have that representation on the court as well. One of the things she, she said in her interview is that she wants to put a face on the court. And mm -hmm. she, she uh, talked about how she's already been traveling the state giving speeches. You expect her to, to be a high-profile chief justice. I hope so. I think it's important to instill confidence in the judiciary. And I think Indiana does do particularly the appellate courts, very well. And so uh, Justice, Chief Justice Shepard uh, effectively did that over his very long tenure on the court. Uh, Justice, uh, um, I'm sorry, Dixon. 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 Uh, all I can think of was Roger DeBruler De all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, Chief Justice Dixon, we understood, was kind of a transition. And so now we've got a chance to reestablish that presence, and I think that's a good thing. There hasn't been much turnover. Uh, in, no. I mean, no, no, I, I, in I the last 40 years, you've had Richard Given, Randy Shepard, Brent Dixon, right. and now Loretta Rush. And I think from the from the time Brent Dixon stepped in, it was clear he was going to be there for a short period of time. And right. I think it was clear that he was going to use his influence uh, in the selection of his successor. Well, and, and, I and think Loretta Rush is a former law partner. Right, his, so that's right. You're so saying it, he used his influence I, in that way? Well, he votes, so well, I yeah. assume he did. And I give him credit for doing that. And I, and I think what happens with this, to Leslie's point on this, I don't think when the Judicial Nominating Commission gets around and, and people decide whether or not to apply. I don't think they say, let's discriminate against women anymore. But what happens in this circumstance is you pick people with whom you're familiar and friendly and with whom you golf and all of those things, and a lot of women don't fit into those categories. So it's particularly important to have a woman chief justice to make sure that perspective stays where it ought to be. Well, you said in your lead-in that she campaigned for the job, and I think that's important. 
I think that she wasn't satisfied with just being on the court. She said, I want that spot. And I think that was uh, significant. Yes, and it's a good ideas. lesson. It's a good lesson for a lot of women who get elected to public office who are satisfied when they get there instead of opening her way to the table. We have that conversation with legislative women a lot about, you know, when you get there, hey, if you don't open your way to the table, they're not going to invite you. You know, that's the sad truth. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, what makes Loretta Rush a good choice for Chief Justice? Your choices are A, experience, B, gender, C, demeanor, or D, all of the above. Last week's question was, do the recent accusations against two sheriffs affect your opinion of law enforcement officers? 30% said yes, 70% said no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. To politics now. Joe Hogsett is putting together a campaign for mayor of Indianapolis. The Democrat who stepped down as U.S. attorney last week revealed his plans in a series of interviews. Hogsett conducted those interviews at the downtown law firm of Bose McKinney and Evans, where he is now a partner. He is not ready to announce his candidacy yet, but already has plans to hire a campaign staff. I have a lot to learn. Probably within the next week or two, I do intend to uh, file the appropriate legal paperwork that allows me to actively explore running for mayor of Indianapolis. I have a lot to learn, and I'm going to listen. But you intend to run for mayor? I intend to vigorously explore that possibility. <laughs> Mike McDaniel, is there any doubt that he will run? I don't know. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that the guy said... He wanted to finish his term as district attorney. He told, uh, I know for sure, one of the two people who are in that race for Democrat nomination that he wasn't going to run repeatedly about every month for the last uh, six months. You're, he calling, told them, you're saying he's quixotic? Um, I, I'm just saying, look, you know, the, you, how do you know if he's going to get in it or not? Because just because he said he's exploring it. Doesn't mean he's going to get in because, like I said, he said he was wasn't going to wasn't going to do anything but finish his term, and now he says he's thinking about doing this. Who knows? I mean, you can't really tell uh, when he says something whether or not that he's going to follow through on that or not. And I think that's that's interesting uh, on a lot of levels because he sure made a lot of people mad by handling it the way he did. Uh, yet he he gave up a, a, a high profile position. Um, and and is immediately saying that he's aiming that direction. There's a little reason to doubt that he'll be a candidate, isn't it? Well, you interviewed him. Did he say he was going to be a candidate? He, 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 he said he's filing you, an exploratory you, you've, you've advised You've advised, advised a lot of politicians. It doesn't make sense to say I'm a candidate your first day. You don't have uh, to give the interview your first day out either. But you can <laughs> file a committee. You don't have to file an exploratory committee unless you're not sure you're going to do it. I mean, that's why you do it. It's not like the paperwork burden is any different for one versus the other. So, gonna, you know, I, I think he's always, frankly, always wanted to be in the Senate. So I don't know what he's doing, and I guess we'll have to wait and see. But if he announced a formal campaign now before the 2014 elections, he would upset people by doing that, would he not? Uh, I think he's already upset those people. Yeah. Um, I think there are a number, as Mike alluded to, there are a number of Democrats who are uh, not too happy that he comes in at this date and, and uh, is perceived immediately as the leading potential candidate. So I, I think if he's going to do it, he should do it, and if he's not then he shouldn't because uh, the Democrats have too many factions in Marion County. 
which have been exposed in previous mayoral elections. Uh, and if they don't take care of those factions, then they won't have a chance this year either. Meantime, Leslie, is he the leading potential candidate? Well, he's certainly getting the most attention right now. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He's got big names who are interested in him running, namely Evan Bayh, which is as big a name as you get in Indiana. I do think that it seems like he's surely going to run because he did leave the, attorney, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office. Having said that, I'm not sure if he had done a lot of exploring or a lot of polling or those kinds of things while U.S. Attorney that doesn't look very good either. So it could be that he's out there truly trying to figure a few things out before he decides to get in the race. But I suspect he's in. The problem, the problem with the way he did this was when the other candidates, or eventual candidates, they became candidates, started by going to him and saying, You're talking about Frank Shorten. We're not going to do this if we know you're going to do this or give us the courtesy of telling us whether you're going to do this. And he tells them, no, I'm not. And they, so they get in the race, and then he turns around and says, well, I've changed my mind. I'm going to give up the district attorney, and I may get in this thing. I'm going to explore it to the max. You know, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's grounds for some pretty deep wounds in a political situation, and that's what you've got going on right now. Still with this, Republican Mayor Greg Ballard tried to avoid comment on Hogshead's plans and, in fact, indicated that he is undecided about a bid for a third term. He said he might make a decision by the end of the year. Winnie and I are, you know, we have to decide what we really want to do. So, uh, you know, so I want to be very careful with that decision. All that said, there's a year and a half to go in this administration, in this term. John Ketzenberger, is there any doubt that he will run? Well, you know, there's always doubt until somebody makes that, uh, that announcement. I think that the mayor is a presumptive candidate by virtue of his incumbency. Uh, and, and, and unless and until he says he's not, then he is. But, you know, running for a third term as a mayor is a difficult thing. Uh, mayor Peterson found that out uh, eight years ago. And uh, I, I think that it's really a tough decision, even for an incumbent who's a presumptive candidate. And he, and he is a presumptive candidate because he's out raising money. Um, certainly he hasn't given an indication to anybody else in the Republican Party that they should be running. I mean, if, if he doesn't run, he leaves the Republicans high and dry. He does. He? So he needs to get out soon if he's not going to run, um, just to make sure that Republicans have enough time to pick a good candidate, to get that candidate funded. Um, but it is a tough thing. I mean, you know, I, I think he'd be a, a good candidate for the Republicans to run a third time. I mean, I... I I think he could win a third time, but 12 years as a mayor, which is an incredibly stressful position, it's a long time. In the meantime, he looks a lot like a candidate. He's rolled out a crime plan here in the last two weeks. He's doing campaign-style uh, appearances in, in schools and, and, and meeting with congressmen. And, and uh, it, is any of that, how much of that is in reaction to what Hogsett's doing? Uh, I don't think it's in reaction to what Hux has done. I th he's been raising money for the committee. I mean, they had a very successful golf outing in the last week, and they're doing the things you have to do to start getting ready for a campaign. But we're 88 days away from the 2014 election, okay? We're 450 days away from the 2015 election, or the 2015 election, which is when the mayor's office right. is up. When he ran for his re-election, the second term, he waited until December the year before to announce then. So this is the timetable is no different now than what he's done before. And so I, I totally expect him by the end of the year to make an announcement that he's going to seek re-election. The public has a lot of confidence in the fact that they feel like 
He's an honest guy that just tries to do what's best for Indianapolis. As long as he's got that going for him, he's going to be a formidable candidate. Would a Ballard-Hogsett matchup be the best race we've seen for mayor? I don't know about the best race. I, I, I don't think Ballard's made up his mind. I really don't. And I think that the comments made about the third term are accurate. I mean, he has a, a, a huge problem with crime. The fact that he's announcing a program eight years or seven years into his administration doesn't give us a lot of confidence. And by the way, only restores IMPD to the level it was 12 years ago. Okay? Doesn't catch up to the population growth 12 years ago. And then he's got to explain that recycling debacle he's throwing down every. He has sounds a lot like of think, issues. Sounds like you think he's going to be a candidate. <laughs> I think he's got a lot of issues that he's had to explain. For example, I mean, I don't understand why we're spending $750,000 to convince the city council. Uh, to go along with his justice uh, uh, thing. If it's such a great idea, he ought to be able to sell it himself. He says Those it's kinds 1% of, things. of the contract. Your, oh, your wow. Answer. Good. It also goes to his buddy. Talk your, about pinstripe patronage. At the law firm at where, where Hogsett Well, Hawks well there's that, too. So I guess <laughs> Joe Hogsett won't be in a position to criticize that, will he? <laughs> so, so your answer confirms for me what I heard yesterday from Medellini. He doesn't plan on getting out of the race, does he? No. Well, that, that tells me why you answered it what you did. I would answer the way I did, whether he was in or out, just for the record. Moving on. Indiana Congressman Todd Rokita attracted national attention this week with comments he made regarding immigrant children crossing our southern border. On the Garrison Show on WIBC Radio, Rokita suggested that some of them may have the Ebola virus after the Times of Northwest Indiana reported on his comments and the story went can we say viral? Rokita issued a clarification saying, quote, so far it's been said that the United States has found over 70 people from Ebola-stricken African countries entering our country from the southern border since January of this year. Leslie Widenbenner, did Rokita say anything wrong? Well, I think he certainly inflamed an issue that doesn't need inflaming. I mean, no matter what you think, whatever side you're on and about people coming over the border, about the children coming over the border, about what we should do about them. There's plenty of emotion there already. I think the last thing that needs to be done in this case is is bring in some rhetoric or bring in something that, that just clearly has no place in the debate. One of his sources was Breitbart.com for this information. <laughs> so consider the source, which of course is difficult in this day and age because you know, anything can pass as a source, and that's often why we have such low-value uh, rhetoric that's going on. Um, you know, all the documented cases of Ebola have come from West Africa or from in this current crisis. And so to say something like that and assert it uh, is really ridiculous. And then uh, to defend it makes me think that it wasn't an accident, and you wonder what the thinking behind that is then. It's either cynical or, or not very bright, and, and neither one of them is very positive. Does this hurt his reputation? Oh, I think it just feeds his reputation. Every time he talks off the cuff anywhere, he puts his foot in his mouth so far, it's surprising he doesn't choke. I mean, it's, it's ignorant. It, it does inflame passions, and it's ignorant to suggest that somebody carrying that virus could come all the way across the sea from Africa, then ford over the uh, Rio Grande River, of course, you know, while hemorrhaging blood from every orifice in the body. It's absurd, okay? And, and all he is doing, I think, especially in view of that non-retraction retraction, is, is to flame those, inflame those same feelings, 
and you know he's on the Garrison show, and that's you got to consider the demographics. Well, who's he trying to appeal to? Well, I, I, I don't know who's trying to appeal to. I think it, it reflects the frustration that a lot of people have about what's continuing to go on in our southern border. We cannot continue to allow illegal immigrants into this country. These are children, Michael. They're children. And it doesn't make any difference what the age is. We can't allow to continue to have a porous border where you're having people come into this country and dispersed all over the United States, not knowing really where they are. Not all of them. Not even. Not all of them are. So you can't say that. They're not all that family members. Uh But we can't continue to allow this to happen. And as, as long as it does happen, We've got a problem in this country. Uh, protecting our borders is very important. Do you I agree with what he said? I don't agree with what he said about that particular disease, but I think what he said reflected the frustration this is of a, this to continue to allow to go on down there. And it's a, it's, a, it's a problem that most Americans don't like. And this is exactly why it's so important not to bring in bring in things that just either aren't true or are meant to inflame, because the debate that Ann and Mike were just having is important. And the, the views that they represent are important. And that debate has to happen. Um, but it shouldn't happen with all of these outside things being brought in that don't make it a fair or, frankly, smart debate. One of the best comments on this was in Let It Out in the Indianapolis Star this morning, <laughs> where they said that they ought to let Native Americans decide the immigration policy. We're using let it out as a source. Now. Well, yeah. my, the point is still the same, Mike. I'm sure the subtlety you went over your head. Right, but the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, I mean, all of us on. here are immigrants. That's yeah. the point. All right. In case you missed it. Legally. There's a push for construction of a passenger rail line through Fort Wayne this week. Nine mayors of towns in Indiana and Ohio signed a memorandum of agreement proposing a passenger rail line that would connect Chicago, Fort Wayne, and Columbus. The idea is that express service would go from downtown Chicago to Columbus in less than four hours. Fort Wayne Mayor Tom Henry says it will increase transportation alternatives and tourism. And Delaney... Does that have a better chance than the light rail line that's been proposed for central Indiana? I, I think we need both of them. I mean, I think that's an inspired idea. Uh, I think it's great. I'm glad they're doing it. I hope they're successful. We need it here, too. And instead, apparently, NDOT's announced they're going to stop the subsidy for the Indianapolis to uh, Chicago uh, line. We're going exactly in the wrong direction here. And I applaud them, uh, Columbus and, and uh Uh, Fort Wayne and and Chicago for having the foresight to realize how important this is going to be to the future. Well, if you don't have a dream, you'll never accomplish it. But this this is a a dream for something that's well down the road, is it? Well, it makes sense. It makes sense geographically. Uh, I think it makes great sense. I'm glad these mayors have come together now. Obviously, as always, the devil's in the details trying to figure out how you can make it happen. But uh, it it would be good for this entire region to do that. Now, the problem with the one between Indianapolis and Chicago is it stops every 12 feet. It takes eight hours or something like that to get from here to there. And that's never going to work because what we need is what they're talking about, which is high-speed rail that you can go from Columbus, Ohio to Chicago in four hours. You know, that's different. 
Where would the we money come it. from? Well, that's the big question. I mean, nobody loves rail more than me. I, there is nothing I would rather do than hop on a train at 7 o'clock in the morning and be in Chicago in an hour and whatever. I mean, that would be fantastic. But, you, I mean, you, it costs a lot to put a rail line like this in place. And then it costs a lot to run it. And you've got to have enough people willing to spend enough money to make something like this work. Well, you, you know, know those, those megabuses, for example, are doing very they well are. between Absolutely. here and there. So there's a demand. Yep. There is a demand, but I think there's also an increasing desire and need to spend on infrastructure. We talk about this all the time. We can't decide on the priorities. We can't decide on where the money's going to come from. But if we don't do it, it's all going to fall apart. Right. And so there has to be a commitment to infrastructure in the United States. And we cannot put asphalt on everything that doesn't walk. <laughs> Finally, the National Guard says it is ending its sponsorship of NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s car and IndyCar driver Graham Rahal's car. The Guard released released a statement saying it spent $32 million on its NASCAR sponsorship this year and $12 million on IndyCar. Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill led a push in Congress to end the military sponsorships, calling them a waste of money. A statement from Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan Racing, says in part, we will continue to work hard to uphold the honor and integrity of the National Guard throughout the remainder of this season. Mike McDaniel, can those sponsorships be defended? Well, you know, we have a volunteer military, and that's, I think that's the key point here. So they've got to go out and advertise to bring people into the process. And you've got to believe the demographics of both NASCAR and IndyCar are two prime places for that. Now, whether it worked or not, that's what needs to be studied and determined, actually, whether the money was making a difference. And there are relationships between the people that join and the people that watch those racing events. And that's what I've not heard. I've not heard that. If, if they find out that it's not working, then they shouldn't be spending that kind of money. But if it is, they've got to go out and advertise to recruit for a non-volunteer or for a volunteer army. Do you think that was frivolous? I'm with Mike. They need to prove it. They need to prove that it was money well spent. Yep. Do you think they'll come back, those sponsorships? I, no, I don't think so. Not in this environment. I don't think they'll come back either, but I, it made me a little bit sad. I thought th I thought it was kind of cool, and it's hard for me to believe that they weren't helpful, but you do have to look at it in a larger picture of what yeah. was their budget for marketing, how much was being spent on this, what, were, what was the return. It was good exposure. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, Leslie Weidenbetter of the statehousefile.com, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible. Thank you.